So there's something that I never thought I would ever see at the head of one of our flicks is an MGM logo. Because that kind of puts us right there with Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. Or right, where like the trilogy, those three movies put together. <laughs> That's be the a legacy. Box set. The legacy of the lion is is uh, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Clerks do. Somehow seems natural. <laughs> it's a natural progression. There yeah. is. There's right. a tie-in, and as much as we begin in black and white, and then we go to color, and then there's a huge fire, which is could connects right us to Gone with the Wind. God, you got cinema history down to a science. I did. I wouldn't have even thought of the fire. I thing. do. Way to spoil it. See, there it is. The burning of Atlanta. <laughs> you know, the part that always got me about this opening is Brian still with the pants tucked into the boots, and I'm thinking, would Randall really let him get away with that for 12 years? Yeah, but credit yeah, but credit's a- due, sir. We were on the set, and we were about to shoot that shot, and you're like, shouldn't his pants be tucked into his boots? And I was like, he's got a point. And I went over to Brian, and I was like, we need to tuck your pants in your boots, and Brian was wearing shoes. So I was just like, oh, you don't have your Doc Martens? He's like, no, I didn't think to bring them. So... The boots that Muse wears throughout the movie is Jay make a cameo in that first scene as as Dante's boots as well. He had to cram into Muse's boots, and then to add the indignity on top of the the wearing shoes that aren't yours, we had him tuck his jeans in. And Brian, to his credit, was just like, I don't think Dante would really tuck his jeans ten years later. I'm like, dude, you gotta tuck. Well, I like that you just stroll up to him and you're like, tuck your pants in your boots. You just assumed he was wearing boots. <laughs> don't you think Randall would not tell him? Isn't the better joke to let him go? through life i'm going like ah, it's still you man yeah actually like, he's probably it. encouraging him like yeah. that's a cool look i should get like every this. time he was trying to pull it out of his boots he's like no no no, no, no. what are you doing Tuck your pants in. In, dude. that's a cool look i gotta get boots so i'm uh, kevin smith i am scott Mosier, and i'm jeff anderson and here we are doing what i believe may be the first in theater commentary track for a film um, credit where credit's due, Battlestar Galactica, I guess, they do podcasts where you could listen to a commentary track while you watch the show. But I think this is the first one done for a movie while in theaters. Once again, Clerks breaking ground. <laughs> or stealing ideas. Either or. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the rap for that. Um, so uh, so we this, this is a flick that we follow up the first Clerks with. And really, it's 12 years later, but in the movie, we just say 10 years later and make it easier. Um, now, in the beginning, um, you were probably the lone holdout, or not even the holdout, but you were the dude that I was most worried would be like, I ain't going to do this. Um, what? Uh, let's talk about that. That's my house, by the way, my childhood home. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, an odd thing. Like, we'd always talked about doing more for clerks there was always talk of doing an animated movie and so forth and that was always talked about but the actual reality of doing a a live action movie was just weird to me when you first came to me with that one <laughs> outside of a kukuru in the valley no less you know if you're gonna throw out an idea why not do it in kukuru <laughs> the uh the i you you felt the same way about it that I did for a long time, which was just like, I don't know, Clerks is its own unique kind of perfect little thing, and why, if we make a movie, and what if the mo- a sequel, what if it sucks, and then people n- not only hate the sequel, but wind up hating on the original in retrospect. Um, and for years, I kind of stayed away from it, even though at the end of Dogma, we teased, you know, uh, uh, Jay and Silent Bob will return and Clerks 2 hardly clerking, which became Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, because I was kind of like, for that very reason, like, oh, what if it just doesn't turn out so good? Maybe we should just kind of let that be its own unique thing and, and not 
kind of go back to the well on it. And then it was after working on, it was like a threefold factor. It was after working on Jersey Girl. Some people have been like, well, the reason he made Clerks 2 is because Jersey Girl didn't do well. And they've kind of missed the target but hit the tree. Jersey Girl was definitely some kind of influence, but it had more to do with the fact that I was like, I just don't want to work with people who are going to be in Us Weekly and In Touch Weekly every week. Like a cast that kind of... Um, makes people forget about the movie itself and people concentrate more on who's fucking who on the movie rather so than the story itself. I tried itself. to lay low. I tried to stay out of People Magazine. Yeah. And I tried to stay out of Us Weekly before we did this just so you wouldn't have any problems. I had that discussion with you too in the beginning, both of you, where I was like, you and Brian, look, you guys can't fuck on this movie because if what happens on the last movie happens Too much on this tabloid movie, coverage. I'm done. I don't want you guys sex. in the tabloids for heaven's sakes. Maybe we're just a little better at keeping it under wraps. <laughs> you did keep it on the download. Oh, the DL, sir. You know, but again, going back to, like, you know, doing Clerks 2, I think when you talked about it with me and Kukuru, I asked the same questions that probably every fan asked mm -hmm. when they heard there was a Clerks 2. I was hitting you with the same questions. Well, is it black and white? Is it color? Like, you know, I, I was probably thinking about it in terms of the same way. Everybody who, when they heard there's going to be a Clerks 2, I was asking you all the same questions, which... Yeah, those are weird questions. questions. Like, there's, there's no right answer, it seems like, when you're doing it. If you made it black and white, it would have been horrible because you were trying to do the same Capture movie. lightning in a bottle twice. Exactly. You know, like it, it was the same things that probably everybody thought of. You know, Those were the same things that I was sort of struggling with, like, how do you do it? No doubt, sir. So there was that. That was a factor. Um, Jersey Girl was a factor. Um we, I, I, I've, I've always loved that show, Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. And then recently they made it Degrassi, not recently, like four years ago, five years ago, they made Degrassi the Next Generation. When I first heard about that, I was like, why would you want to fuck with something as cool as Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High, like going back to it? And, and what if you fuck it up? Like, let that be its own unique thing. Why, why must they continue the story? Then I caught up with the show, and the show was genius. It was actually better than Degrassi Junior High and Degrassi High. And so that made me feel kind of a little chuffed as well. I was like, well, if Linda Schuyler and then the people at Degrassi could kind of pull it off, maybe I could continue telling Dante and Randall's story, you know, without worrying about fucking it up. But like, it, there was always kind of this preconceived notion that, oh, it, it can't be as good as the original. And then at a certain point, like, it kind of s switched in my head where I was like, maybe it could be as good as the original, if not better. Like, maybe it's not a competition. Maybe it's like, I'm just expanding on the story. So it's not about, well, it's not as good as the first one. It's just like, it can't be like the first one, but we'll just keep telling the story of these guys. Um, and then the final factor was the was the Clerks 10 DVD when we were working on it. The... the uh, the Snowball Effect documentary that Phil Benson put together with Zach and Joey was like when I watched it, it was just it's it's the kind of documentary you watch and you go like, man, this makes me want to make a movie, which I've heard from people who've seen it. And I had the same feeling, too. But the movie that it made me want to make was Clerks, too. It was like, oh, I would like to go back and tell the story, like tell another story with these dudes years down the road and see like what exactly happened to them. And, and like, did they move on? What what eventually became of these guys and the quick stop? So once those three things kind of gelled for me, that's when I started thinking about it. And then I started talking to people about it. I think the first person, person I hit it up with, with was Moj. 
We went to yeah. church, <clears throat> heading to Jersey Girl, because um, we always go to church, like right before production begins and right before the movie opens. Is go, that right? You guys go to church? Yeah, bringing Mosier into church, I always feel like <laughs> good luck, because if the, if the roof don't cave in, because Mosier's there, godless Mosier, like, we'll be okay. I thought Mosier is God. <laughs> There's that school of thought. There but, was um, a whole religion based around that. When, uh, when after we went to mass for that Kool Aid involved in for that uh, for after before Jersey Girl opened, that's when I hit you with it. And I was like, I was thinking about making a clerks uh, a clerks two, like a follow up, and and like we would do it cheap. And I think the number I hit him with was like 250 grand. We'll do it like Chasing Amy. Yeah. And Moser's just like, look, I'll, I'll, I'd be into that, but I ain't into it at 250000 Because my job from movie to movie don't change. Like, based on the budget, it, it, does, it doesn't really affect me. Budget don't affect me. It's like I write the script, rehearse the actors, and then when we're on set, you know, make sure the actors give as good an on-camera performance as I heard in my head when I was writing it, if not better. So it doesn't matter you got 10 bucks or $10 bucks. My job remains the same. Moser's job gets more difficult based on the budget. Right. Trying to pull something off for like 250 Let me just say for the record, my job gets more difficult for the low budget as well. <laughs> Less ducats in my pocket. The, um, I mean, the original idea was also, though, at that point, you you were still thinking about doing um, the movie that was going to be set on the on the boardwalk. On the boardwalk. Originally, it was going to be like the quick stop burns down. There were some things that were always in place, even going so far back as... 99 when we teased Clerks 2 at the end of the dogma credits. One is I knew it would open the way it does. Like yeah. in black and white, opens the shutters, fire, that transitions just to color, and then the movie moves out of quick stop. I always knew there would be a dance sequence where people fall in love, but I back then I thought it was going to be Randall. Like up on the roof, dancing, and then <laughs> like with the chick. Bitch. Stay tuned for Clerks Three, <laughs> Randall Terrio. <laughs> um, what else was there? There was. Uh, I always knew how it would end. I knew it would end with misery, and I knew we'd transition back to black and white on this long pullback. I knew they'd wind up owning the store at the end, and those were the big beats. So when I uh, when I was thinking about it, when I talked to Mosier about it the first time, I said like, once the store burns down. I think these dudes wind up working at, at Keensburg. Originally, I was thinking like um, Tom. C Tom's River, Seaside, yeah. or C Seaside Heights. Um, and then I went to Seaside, and it's just too big and sprawling to kind of do the movie out. And then I was like, Keensburg's manageable. It's small. You know what? Oddly enough, when you first approached me with the story of Clerks 2, and I wasn't really interested in it, the one idea that I liked was that they work at an amusement park. <laughs> like, I pictured, you know, Dante and Randall working at Skidmark's the go-kart track. You know? And that's the, that's the, out of everything, that's the part that you almost had me with, right. and that's the part you completely changed. <laughs> that's so. didn't, didn't one of them work at, um, I thought one of them worked at Shoot the Geek. Yeah, there's this a stand in Seaside called Shoot the Geek, and it must still be there. And basically, it's this dude in a massive like football, uh, football like pads and padding and shit like that. And then they put like this big helmet on him, a little slit for him to see through. <laughs> Very big clothing, so he's fully padded. And he walks out in front of people who have a paint gun that's chained to the stand itself, and you just shoot the dude. And that's it. There are no prizes. That was totally a Randall gig because like I envision. It like basically like Randall had whenever Randall put on the suit, it was nothing but paint marks around his balls. <laughs> like everyone just trying to tag the dude in the nuts, and they would line up for hours going, "That dude's back." <laughs> back, back, back. Say now, I would go see this movie. <laughs> 
Um, but it was Mosier who pointed out wisely. He was just like, dude, if we wind up shooting this movie at Keensburg, he's going, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have people looking, you're going to have people looking on while you make the movie. And Mosier knows after years and years that the thing that I can't stand the most on a movie set is people watching me direct and not people on the cast and crew, but outsiders. Cause it just feels like such a fake fucking job to me. Like, you know, if you look at like the postman, he delivers a letter to your house. That's a real job. Guy like fix the road. That's a real job. My job is to stand there and be like, all right, make pretend that this dude's fucking a donkey. Go. And it's just, it feels so fucking fake to me. And I hate when people watch it because, you know, just they're just sitting there going, that's it? That's the, what a nothing job that is. Oddly so, enough, if we shot in Kingsburg, I don't think anybody would have even stopped to look if somebody <laughs> was fucking a donkey. <laughs> But it was after that conversation that I was just like, yeah, maybe we should move it someplace else. And then I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe the idea is to take him from mom and pop to a corporate world. And I was just like, yeah, but what kind of corporate job would these dudes get? It's not like they'd be in suits or something. And then I was like, oh, I bet you they'd transition to fucking fast food. And that's when movies came into play. Nice. And then once movies came in, <clears throat> once I read the script, the budget started to form just because of, like, to build the entire world was, like, going to cost a little bit of money. Now, were you completely on board when he came to you with the idea of Clerks 2, like, budget aside? Like, when he threw out the original idea, were you like, yeah, it's a good idea to visit those characters again, or were... You know, I, my reaction was, like, I, I think that I think that the doing the Clerks, the Clerks 10 DVD had the same effect, where it was like... And we did that... Uh, remember we did the thing at the Arclight? Yeah, and we all kind of got back together, and I was like, and I, like it was fun to kind of see everybody and see everybody older and stuff like that. And so, I think the reality of all of us getting together and seeing everybody made it seem like, oh, you know what, like that this experience could translate into a movie too, of like seeing these guys years later. And I thought, and and I also thought like the idea of making the movie seemed like a lot of fun. Like, it actually seemed like it could be a lot of fun. Because, I mean, you know, in relation to the Jersey Girl thing, which was like, it just didn't, the, the environment of making that movie didn't feel like um, some of the experiences we've had in the past, where it was like more like family, like a, where it felt more like everyone kind of hanging out and getting together to make a movie. And it seemed like on that movie we could dictate the terms of what we wanted to do so I, I was into it and I also I mean to me it's also like I keep saying like the idea is only, it's only a bad idea if the movie sucks so at the moment I'm like I had to trust I trusted that he wasn't gonna write you know I'm not supposed to be here today. I'm still you know, not even <laughs> supposed to be here you today. Know. That was my mistake. My mistake was, like, not coming to people loaded for bear with a script. Yeah. But for me, it was, like, more important. I had to gauge if anyone was interested in the first place before I actually sat down to write a script because it would have been heartbreaking if I wrote a script and then handed it out and everyone was like, nah, fuck this. And I'm like, oh, man, I just got fell in love with this script. So I went out there first to be like, what, what do you think of Clerks too? Like, the exploratory conversation with you and him and Brian. Me was not so much. Me was just like, they're going to have breakfast burritos there? Fucking I'm there. Don't matter what we're making. Well, that, that's sort of why I'm <laughs> asking the question because I, I think by the time you had gotten to me and talked to me about it, it sounded like a lot of people were sort of dissuading you from doing it, and that's why I was curious to know 
if Scott was into it, and I, and I wonder what would have happened with the movie had Scott not been into it, because it sounded like you know you had talked about it with uh, your wife Jen. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like she was a huge fan. No. I certainly wasn't doing cartwheels in Kukuru. Um, so <laughs> this commentary I'm just brought to, to you know, by like, If Scott didn't really get behind it, if it would have ever happened. Uh, probably not, because a perfect example of that is Green Hornet was the movie that I was supposed to do for Miramax before Harvey and Bob went and created the Weinstein Company. And that movie, for me, kind of started falling apart the moment Mosher was like, I don't want to produce that. It's just too big, and there's nothing in it that really interests me. So if I had gone to Mosher and said, like, dude, I want to do a follow-up to Clerks, and he was like, I don't want to do that, then I probably would have let it go, because he was the first person I hit it with. Um, you know, I knew Jen wouldn't be into it, because she, she had the thing of, like, why would you want to go back? You know, move forward, move forward. And she completely did a 180, of course. This, the moment I cast her in the movie, she's like, Clerks, dude, the best idea you ever yeah. You know what's funny is like I think that the idea of like like now the movie's done it is moving forward like right. it, mm-hmm. like now that it's all done it is the it, like I really think it is it is moving forward like it yeah. is sort of like it's the evolution of everything you know it's the evolution of all of us and like even for you coming in and 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 being able to perform that character again I mean did you find it fun to be able to come back? Ten years later, after like the you know, Clerks One was the first movie you ever made, and here you are ten years later with all your experience and stuff. Was it more fun to come back and be able to like? I don't know if fun is the word. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, or... If anything, it, it was scary, and that was part of the decision to do it. It's like, you know, obviously I hadn't done any other movie, so it's like, you know, when you watch VH1, where are they now? And you see the child actor ten years later, and your first thought is, oh my god, look at this guy. Like, I just didn't want that to be the whole movie. Like, oh my God, look at Randall. He's old and bloated. <laughs> the car wreck factor, if you will. Exactly. Um, I think it was like, uh, on, as just a concept of, of just going like, hey, Clerks 2, and it's 10 years later. It's a, it, it, I can understand people being like, well, let's, let's see what the script is. Once the script was done, though, there, everybody was kind of on board because then everyone got to see like what it was and what it was was not a series of I'm still not even supposed to be here today and then like 37 more dicks 38 nothing like that it wasn't like a series of callbacks it really was kind of expanding the world and watching these dudes take a step a big step into crossover into adulthood right. um and it was, I think that's, that, 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 in retrospect, I wish I had kind of just been like written the script and kind of went balls to the wall and be like, I want to do Clerks 2, check out the script. Um, writing the script, though, I remember like as I, as I watched the movie, I get very distinct memories of where I was when I wrote certain scenes. And for some reason, like I wanted to get out of my house and get out of the area, and I went to, to Vegas to stay at the Hard Rock for a week and write. And a lot of people are like, why would you go to Vegas, man? That's the place <laughs> nice full of distractions. Town. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm not like, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not a nightlife kind of person. The only thing I, I had an interest in was like, I'll write all day long and then at night to reward myself, I'll go play some blackjack. So that's what I did. And I remember being in the hotel and being in the Hard Rock and writing stuff like this scene, like right here with Elias um, doing the Transformers thing. Um, I remember very specifically writing like the Anne Frank and uh, versus Helen Keller discussion and how it stems out of like you going after the dude for for the website for the creepy boy and shit mm-hmm. and just kind of chuckling to myself like out loud. It was making me laugh and, and I felt like, God, if I can laugh at this shit, like somebody else is going to find it funny. So it was a really kind of gratifying and quick 
process to write the script. I think I did it in like maybe a month tops. Suddenly it's all becoming clear. I thought every time I read in the script where Randall says, hit me. And had some, there was some sort of fight, but it was there was zero. Do you remember there was originally there was a scene? I don't know if it was in the first draft. I think it might have been, where you're playing poker at one point. You're yeah. teaching like Elias to yeah. play poker, yeah. but teaching him wrongly. Yeah, that was a little bit of Vegas influence right there. But it was weird because the first movie I wrote basically at my parents' house, and a little bit at the Quick Stop. I had the RST video. I'd bring the compute the the word processor down there and work on it. Um, this one, though, I'm, a majority of it I wrote at the Hard Rock in Vegas. This is the guy who says he's embarrassed to be a director. I went to the Hard Rock to write my next movie and play blackjack all day. Oddly enough, it's the only place I could find peace, peace and quiet. <laughs> What's that say about your house? It's, it's, a, little, it's a little preoccupied. Um, so we've kind of blown past a bunch of debuts. There was Jen, who, who plays Emma in the movie. And then there was Trevor, who plays Elias. And Trevor we found through you. Trevor I'd seen in your movie, Now You Know, and really dug him as Biscuit, the character he played in your movie. So I started writing for him, and it wasn't something until I figured out until we got to rehearsals. I was writing a part for a guy who I was going to then ask to not be the guy in the part that I fell in love with in the first place. You know, it's like he couldn't come into the movie and be Biscuit, which was a, caught my attention in the first place. Right. And it was a weird rehearsal process because, I, you know, I had to be like, all right, everything you did that was cool about you in that movie, you can't do here. You have to be somebody completely different. Well, that was the, the surprising thing to me. Uh, I think when you first gave me the script, you said, you know, read the script, not only to read the script, but tell me what you think of Trevor as Elias. So I was... Uh, you know, when I read the script, I expected to see Biscuit. You right. know, but when I was reading Elias, I was like, wow, it's a very different character. I think Trevor could pull it off, but I so expected to see a character more like the one that I had written for Trevor in Now You Know, and I was surprised to learn that it was a completely different character. And he, I mean, it's all credit to him. That is a, a it's a true performance, because when you meet Trevor... He is like 180 degrees away from Elias. Like a lot, there, there's nothing about Trevor in Elias whatsoever. Well, maybe 110 degrees away. Uh, you think there's a little bit, a little hint somewhere in there? <laughs> I'm not going to say which part. There's a little hint. Um, and then Rosario, of course, is the new uh, a new addition to to the Clerks world, and that came. I mean, we got to give credit to Harvey Weinstein. Credit where credits due. Like every basically every part in the script was kind of precast, and he was just like, "You got to give me one part. You got to give me that girl lead to put somebody in, like somebody I can put on the poster that people recognize, somebody I can go out and market the movie on." And our point was like, "Dude, you're going to market the movie on Dante and Randall. Like they everyone's everyone who wants to see a Clerks." Dante and Randall are like a really sexy girl. <laughs> Pretty much. Put those guys on the cover of Maxim. That was all right. But Harvey came up Straight with this list. <laughs> a list of uh, like six names. Because yeah. that was the agreement. It was like, dude, you give us some names. We'll go to all those actresses. If you if they say, yeah, fine. If not, you got to let us cast the part ourselves. And he said, fine. So he gave us this list. And at the head of the list, like I knew we were like, oh, man, this dude's in space. The head of the list is Rachel Weiss. <laughs> Chick was in, like, you know, who just won an Academy Award for the Constant Gardener. Classy British actress. And I'm like, dude, do you really think this chick wants to, like, be... She wants to talk about ass to mouth. <laughs> exactly. And, and be in, uh, not just clerks, but clerks, too. You know, like, jumping into the world 12 years later. Um, and well, the I first... think we knew, we knew that, like, 
We knew the movie would be great, but we also knew that... Like, we hoped. We hoped, but we also <laughs> knew that going in, it was just like... We knew that from all of our conversations with people, that people were wary about it. People didn't know what to think about it. And that's why, like, Harvey is real just like, well, everyone's going to want to do it. And we're like, ooh, like, like it's it's not that simple. So we we just kept going like. Yeah, there was this built-in. I think he had it in his head because of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, because we had, like, a bunch of cameos. And that he was like, all of Hollywood's going to turn out to be <laughs> in this movie. And I was like, you're out of your mind, dude. Number one, I don't think they're going to dig the material. Number two, it's like a it's a $5 million picture. There's no way that you're going to get everyone or anyone to turn out. One of the names on his list was Rosario, and that was the last one that me and Mosier wanted to go to because we just never thought in a million years she would say yes. <laughs> like, of all the names that were there, we were just like, the least weird likely prejudice is Rosario. We were just like, she's not going to do it. And it no would one. be, I think for us, it would have been more embarrassing for her to say no than Rachel Weisz because, like, she's in her mid 20s, and there's this factor where it's like, well, of anyone on this list, she would be the most likely, you would imagine, on paper, but just based on her repertoire, it's like, I'm a, this chick, no way this chick says yes. So we held off on her till the end and I remember I met with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard because Harvey was like I took a meeting with Bryce and she loves your stuff you should meet with her about clerks too and I met with her sat down with her Jerry's and she's a lovely person and whatnot we chit chatted for like an hour and I gave her the script and, uh, and then we heard back from her like two days later, and it was just kind of like, thanks, but no thanks. And then she wound up doing the M. Night Shyamalan movie, which, oddly enough, we wind up opening against the same day we open. Is that right? Yeah. The next person I went to, I kept going for people who I was like, they're, they're really great, strong performers, but not necessarily, they, they haven't like been in a ton of movies. Like The next person I went for was Ellen Pompeo, who wound up being on Grey's Anatomy but when I met with her she was shooting the pilot for it and I kind of dug her from these episodes of Law and Order that I saw her in so I met with her and and she read the script and she dug it but she was like I don't I don't want to play somebody's girlfriend I'm trying I'm looking to do something else at this point so I was like all right so we were getting passes and you know suddenly Harvey's theory of everybody's going to want to do it just start falling apart <laughs> um, Sarah Silverman we sent the script to Sarah and Sarah called, I talked to Sarah and Sarah was like if you were offering me the role of Randall, I would do this in a heartbeat. She's going, he's got the role in the movie, but I don't want to play somebody's girlfriend in a movie. I'm trying to move in a different direction. All these actors, nobody wanted to play a girlfriend, and I'm sitting there going, but she's not a girlfriend. But whatever, you got to respect the decision. Um, the thing that, that I dug the most, though, about Sarah reading it was I was like, look, I, if you're not going to do it, I, I, the, it hurts, but like I get it. But as a comedian, tell me, is it funny? She's like, it's fucking really funny, dude. That's why if you want to change Randall's sex, I'll do it right now. I was like, no. Oddly I, enough, you almost had cast. to do that because I still wasn't on board. <laughs> exactly. I'm holding the back of my head going, well, maybe Sarah Silverman instead of Jeff Anderson because Jeff Anderson's not there yet. Um, and then finally we wound up going to Rosera and I had to send it to her agent and her manager. They came into the office to read it. Yeah. And they said, we're going to suggest that she read it. And I was like, right on. They're like, but that's not a guarantee she'll do it. I was like, right on. Then we sent the script to Rosario and like didn't hear from her for two days. And we thought uh, the inevitable happened. She passed. And then we got the call from her agent going like she's into it. And I was like, what? How? Why? Why would she be into it? And we were just kind of flabbergasted until that first rehearsal where we were all sitting in that room and whatnot. And, and at one point we had a chance to talk to her. And... 
she starts talking like knowledgeably about Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, this little black and white comic by Johan Vasquez. Um, she starts talking about like her greatest regret in her career thus far was getting cut out of a movie that she really wanted to be in in a big bad way. And I was like, God, what could it be? And it turned out to be The Devil's Rejects by Rob Zombie. And, right. and suddenly you get a clear picture of who she is. She's not like a careerist who's like, I'm going to do this role so that I could get to this role so that I could get to Academy Award. She just likes to do movies that appeal to her sensibility. Well, and when she was like, I was like, well, what about this movie did it for you? She's like, Donkey Show. She's like, I just, I've always wanted to see a donkey show. And I was like, you realize we're not, you know, the dude's not actually going to fuck the donkey. She's like, I get that. But, but like, the donkey show sold her. For me, again, uh, when I, that meeting that you're talking about, um, you guys all met in your office and we were going to do our first read through with Rosario. Uh, I was running late because I had had a wardrobe fitting and got to the office a little late. So you guys were all there when I got there. And when I walked in, you know, you, you walk in and, Obviously, I know Brian and Trevor and all that, but I was introduced to Rosario and just hello, and you know you don't don't really know what to make of it yet. So I just sat down and you guys resumed the conversation you were having before I got there, and it was Rosario talking about anal bleaching. Right. And I was like, okay, we're gonna be fine with this. She had her grandmother was questioning her about anal bleaching. And I was like, okay, we're gonna be fine with Rosario. She was very much just one of the boys, which was kind of cool. I remember rehearsing with you guys like you and Brian and Trevor. And we went through a rehearsal round, and everyone was totally fine, but we weren't quite there yet. Yeah. I was like, we got some work to do. Then Rosario joins us, and it was suddenly like a, a, a room full of dudes sucking their guts in or something, or a bunch of peacocks putting the plumage out. All of a sudden, these dudes took like a 200% jump in their performance, and they were spot on. If I had a camera, that would have been the movie right there. Like, the performances were as good as they are now in the movie. And I was just like, oh, these fucking transparent motherfuckers. Like, she didn't know because she wasn't there. <laughs> but I'd been there before she came in the room and there when you guys were reading with her. And suddenly it was like you introduce one pretty girl into the mix. And suddenly all these dudes are Olivier. They're Excuse all like, me, hot chick, want to see my acting chops? <laughs> exactly. Take a look at this. You could saunter over to Frodo and suck his fucking cock. Now that would have been an Academy Award worthy ending. Hey. Faggot. We got lucky with this dude, Kevin Wiseman. I forget how we came to him. It was supposed to be David Cross, David Cross for a while, but he couldn't do it. And it's actually, I have to credit my girlfriend, Alex, because she was... Really, she brought him up. She, well, she was watching Alias again, and she was watching the shows on DVD. And so it was ingrained in my brain. And so when, when David Cross fell out... I, you were like, was, what about Marshall? Yeah, yeah, because he was, yeah, he's really good on the show, and he's really good in the movie, too. But once we cast Rosario, too, it's like it kind of opened up, because we were very anti-celebrity. We didn't want anyone famous and in the movie. The, the reason being, like, and it wasn't like, fuck celebrities, it was just like, you don't want anybody to, yeah, Mosier, <laughs> in his campaign of hatred against celebrities, was maintaining the status quo. But for, for me, it was just like, you don't want anybody in the movie that's going to pull you out of the movie. It's like, you know, you look at the first Clerks, nobody really famous in it. Nobody famous at all. So it's like you're watching the movie, and you're like, all right, I buy into this world. You didn't want people in this world suddenly not buying into it because they're like, well, what's this person doing there? They're, you know, this this person sticks out like a sore thumb. And that's why we fought 
casting somebody famous as Becky in the beginning because we were like, if you put any one of these six names in the movie, they're just going to distract from the movie itself. And the big factor, too, was like, you got to cast somebody as Becky that the audience will believe would fuck Brian O'Halloran. You know, it, that that's a key factor. And I remember when we first, when Rosario said yes, we were like, that's awesome. And then suddenly me and Moshe were like, nobody is going to buy for a million years that she would fuck Dante. But the, uh, but the all credit to her, she, her performance makes you believe that she would actually fuck Dante. Like, yeah. she's so, she got such a heart and she's so realistic and, and you know, it, it, I don't know, she, you buy it for some reason. I don't know what that reason is. <laughs> um, so, a lot of people, I guess, figure that you and Brian are best of friends and shit and hang out together and live together, but... I don't know, <laughs> I can't explain it. No, I mean, Brian's always lived in New Jersey. I moved out to L.A. Uh, shortly after Clerks uh, to pursue my illustrious career. And uh, that was a joke. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. It's like I, I see him whenever we do stuff with it, and I certainly like Brian, and I get along with Brian. I find it easy to work with him, but we've just never really hung out. Right. You know, we do. So, it's a, a, I mean, a big ups to your both of your ability to, uh, to be, be, be actors, to be performers, that you pull it off, that it seems like, you know, you guys are tight. Yeah. I guess we are actors. <laughs> there it is, sir. <laughs> Um, the uh, this time around when I was writing the script, uh, you know when it, he, Dante kind of falls into another, you know Betty or Veronica, kind of like which chick to go with thing. As I was writing it, I was just like, well, I guess that does hark back to the other one. But I liked it so much where it was going that I stayed with it because when I was writing it, I didn't want to touch back on the other one too much or echo the other one that much. But as I was writing that, I was like, hey. Randall has to comment on the fact that, like, this dude, of the two of you, like, this dude seems to always kind of be, you know, between a rock and a hard place when it comes to the chicks. And that's where the hideous fucking Chud line came from at yeah. one point, um, which I remember, like, when we were in rehearsals, um, it was you and, and Brian rehearsing some scene, and Jen was there, and she was getting ready to rehearse her scene. We were up at my house, and that line came out. I forget where where its first reference in the script, where it was originally referenced, where the hideous fucking shed line <laughs> happens. And she started just cracking up. And my old lady is like the tightest audience. Like, she's not a big fan of my stuff. It's not like she hates it, but like it's not like my shit makes her laugh. She likes seeing slapstick, people fall down, get hit by bats, that kind of thing. So, so <laughs> totally, totally, very odd. So when she laughed at that, I was like, oh, I'm totally fucking bringing hideous fucking shut back. And it winds up being in the movie at least three times because you of that. You did a Mandel. I totally did a Dave Mandel, The Rule of Comedy, well, three times. this scene. Right. <clears throat> and then... But I can't remember if this is the first place it appeared, like, in the script. I don't remember either. I think it is, or, or it was, because... Then when you talked about me bringing it back, you chuckled because you're like, well, obviously Randall had his ear to the door <laughs> right. in the office because it came back when I said it again, and you were like, that's funny that he was like sitting there listening to this the whole conversation. time. <laughs> And still, like, even though, like, in the beginning of the movie or the first scene when Becky's showing up, you got Randall going like, you know, I think there's something going on between you two. And then when it finally outs that there is something going on between them, like, Randall's, like, in total shock and awe. <laughs> just like, you know, like, you could see that he's just busting his balls about it, but not really believing that his friend's capable of, of tagging somebody like <laughs> Becky. And when he finally says, like, not only did I tag her, she's pregnant with my kid, Randall's like, what? <laughs> so it's 
So even if your ear was to the door, <laughs> listening to this part of their conversation, he doesn't even process for him. Where he's just like, did they just say they fucked on the on the prep station table? He's just like, couldn't be. They're joking around. All he's picking up is just like, I'm gonna call him a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even for me reading the script, of course I'm reading the script and I go, all right, Bry's got one chick, Randall nothing, nothing, no chick. Bry's got two. Bry's got two chicks again. Randall, nothing. Come on. Originally, like twelve wives. Like I said, originally I was gonna have it be more about a Randall love story, and then I was just like, no, nah, Randall's the kind of dude that would just fuck everyone, not the kind of guy that falls Very in love. Very disturbing scene, by the way. Very disturbing on many levels. And Muse, who we haven't really talked about, Muse, of course, back in a stellar fashion. You know, free of completely free of drugs when we shot the movie for like almost three years at that point, and clean fit and, and sober, trim. Yeah. Fit, fit and trim as well, especially if you look shaved. at. Him next to uh, next to like his, his appearance in Jane Silent Bob and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, he had that like liquor face on where he's got like a lot of facial chubs, so much so that we were doing like a huddle scene in that movie and we're watching the playback and he's like, I got turkey neck, <laughs> there's turkey neck, I look like you. And I was like, Whoa, dude, you think I got turkey neck? He's like, Yeah, and you're hiding it with a beard. But in this movie, he's he's very, very trim and whatnot. And I think he got extra trim because he knew he was gonna have to do the tuck. Nice. So my man started doing a lot of sit ups and working out and shit because he knew he'd be there in all his glory. Tucking it back, and when he saw it in the script, he was just like, "Dude, I don't know if I can do this. I don't want to tuck my cock back on." And, and it's like, "Dude, you do it all the time. Like you're this. This is one the dude who I've seen this dude's dick more than I've seen my own in my life because he's so free with it, pulls it out like a child. Well, there's those those moments as well, but he just pulls him out like 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 a fascination with his fucking genitalia, like he's an infant or something like that. And one of his favorite things to do is that tuck move. So he reads it in the script. He's like, "I don't I don't want to do this." Tuck thing. I'm like, dude, you do it for free all the time. Like, here's a chance where here's you can do it. Here's your chance to reach millions. <laughs> <laughs> and he, to his credit, man, he he, he did it in all in all his glory and, and kind of pulled it off. And it is like a really funny yet disturbing image and whatnot. And now, I thought he, that would be the thing. Did he have the landing strip, or did you have to tuck him into that? Chair? I talked him into the landing strip because nice. he was just like, I'm thinking about trimming it all. I'm like, don't trim it all, dude. Just do the landing strip. Trimming it all might be disturbing. <laughs> landing strip would say that you actually put some more thought into it <laughs> into the presentation. This is uh, one of my favorite scenes in the flick because I just love how how beaten down like the 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 Elias approach which we kind of came up with in rehearsals was he's a battered puppy he's got the battered puppy syndrome like he loves and hates Randall but like even though Randall will abuse the hell out of him he comes back for more eventually and this scene is so indicative of that like when he comes up and, and you're like what and that came out of the fucking rehearsals as well yeah like uh, you threw in that what and we were like, oh, that's got to go in. That fucking cracks me up when I watch that scene. I always like when Trevor has this hat on because the eyes on the hat are very much like his own eyes, like those <laughs> doe eyes, like the the puppy eyes. Um, I have somebody on, on the Internet, um, I guess by seeing trailers and whatnot, were like, is it normal in New Jersey to have Internet terminals in fast food joints? <laughs> and I guess that's a bit of creative license. Like, you can go into McDonald's and they got Wi-Fi service, but very rarely do you walk into some place outside of an airport where there's, like, an Internet kiosk where you can get online. And especially a kiosk where you can get online and surf porn sites. <laughs> like, I'm looking up a donkey show in the fast food restaurant. Like, they're not even blocked. <laughs> in my mind, that was like a Randall Jigger. Like, basically. 
basically they put it in there with a parental block on it. Randall was like, we'll see about that. Pulls it out. But it's also like the bigger stretch of whether or not there should be an Internet terminal in a fast food joint is like, where's the fucking mouse? Like there's no there's no way to fucking direct that, to, to direct the cursor except for the little up-down and, and side-to-side arrows. It had a mouse on it. When we came into rehearsals, there was a mouse hanging there, and I always thought that was funny that it was just hanging off the side of it. Like, so you're doing it on your chest or something <laughs> like that. That becomes your mouse pad. The, uh, the, um, when, when Jen, Jen's preparation for the movie was so much about working out it was insane it was not about like performance although like she went to rehearsals and we worked on a performance but for her she was just like oh i gotta go to the yo i gotta hit yoga i gotta go to the gym brian and i should have probably thought of that <laughs> <laughs> for her she was like that was such a big part of preparation i'm like i don't think that really matters i mean in this world i don't think everyone needs to be like cut i was like look at silent bob for god's sakes and she's like well that makes me want to go to the gym even more <laughs> if you're using yourself as a comparison <laughs> That, uh, one, you know, as you watch the movie, you always get odd lines become sort of your favorite. One of my favorite lines still when I watch it is Jen's delivery of, I even have Randall's, <laughs> Randall's invitation, like, I guess I got to invite her. Like, it always just made me laugh with the way she says it. This scene, we're launching into the pillow pants scene here, and... This scene really came to life on the set. Like, you know, it was always kind of funny on the page, and it was funny in rehearsals and whatnot. But it was this shot right here, like when we were setting up um, setting up the singles. This shot in particular, the Elias single. Like, Dave was lighting it, and because we're shooting up the, uh, over this prep station table, any light that hits it, you know, bounces back in a big, bad way. So we had done, like, one or two takes where Elias wasn't as creepy as he is in the movie when he goes into pillow pants. Then I'm looking out on the monitor, <clears throat> and that tremendous glare that's coming off the top of that prep station table, like, immediately brings me to The Shining, to Lloyd, your ghostly bartender. Like, that scene where Jack Nicholson's talking to the, to the bartender that's not supposed to be at the Overlook because he's dead, and, like, the bar kind of glows and whatnot. So I was talking to Dave. I pulled Dave aside. I was like, dude, is that what it's going to look like, or am I just getting a tremendous kick from the monitor he's like well you're getting a little bit but we can amp it up if you want and i was like totally amp it up and then i went in there in terms of the lighting then i went in there to, to trevor and i was like dude from this take i just want you to think about the shining like it's all about being as unsettling and as creepy as possible so it, it took a few takes and he finally got in there and i remember the big um hurdle for this scene was like was talking to you going now dude the scene is all like what he says is funny but what sells the scene is the reaction like your reaction to the whole thing right. and i was just like so basically we'll get all your lines and i just want to roll on one take where you're just wide-eyed for like a minute straight <laughs> and you were like you get one take of me being wide-eyed that's it <laughs> and then i didn't wind up using any of the wide-eyed because you were wide-eyed enough in the actual performance right. but that to me is like what makes the scene funny it's like what he says is kind of fucked up but it's your reaction that like puts it over the top because right. you react as the whole audience essentially just like with that wide-eyed like Sure. I don't know what it is. Like, for me as an actor, I hate to be on camera just not doing anything. Like, just standing still feels weird because then I start thinking, Jesus, there's a camera pointed at me. I'm just standing here. It's like the scene where uh, we're talking about the Transformers and I'm pelting him with paper. Right. Like, that was something I was like, Kev, can I just be pelting him with paper because I can't just stand here? Like, reaction shots where I'm just standing there, I feel like a deer in the headlights. You can't get me to do anything. (laughs) It's like, uh, you can't work with me. The, the, uh, uh, which McCall this in this scene here when we're doing the um, the pillow pants discussion um, 
we showed Harvey. Remember, we showed Harvey like the first hour, yeah, hour and ten minutes of the movie cut together um, while we were still in production. Like it was that we were going to be going to do the jail scene that night, and Harvey came to the office, watched an hour and ten minutes of the footage, and one of his only notes after watching it, like he's like, "I love it. I think it's funny." He's going, but I think he's going. I think that with that pussy troll scene. He's going, I really think you guys should go back and shoot the pussy troll. <laughs> and we were like, what? And he was like, you need to show it. I think you need to show the pussy troll. And we were like, dude, you do realize there's no such thing as a pussy troll, don't you? And he's like, I know that. He's, he's going, like, but I just think it's one thing to talk about. It. He's going, you know, you got to think about your foreign audiences. You got to show this thing. Foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> pussy troll. Apparently, Harvey's got this vision. This summer from Weinstein <laughs> Films, pussy troll. That's what's going to get us in the can. Show the pussy Feet troll. out of her body at 21. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for another pussy. <laughs> Not before she bit off a few penises. <laughs> but it was such a weird thing. I was like, dude, like, what's funny about that scene is the fact that, like... <laughs> he believes something yeah. that's so fucking absurd. Exactly. This dude buys that there's a pussy troll. And this dude, who reacts like the rest of us, who knows there's no such thing as a pussy troll, like, that's what makes it funny. It's like the fact that there is nothing to cut to. But do we know and that they don't have those in other countries? I don't know. I asked around That's when we Romanian were in but he was like, I'll give you money to go back and reshoot it. And me and Mo Mosier were like, like, I guess we could put Muse in a troll outfit and build a massive pussy around him and have him doing some kind of bizarre shuffle. And thankfully, it all went away. Thankfully, enough people were like, no, Harvey, it's good that you don't see the pussy troll. And Why do like, I picture right. the pussy troll like that thing outside a subway? You know, like a guy that's dressed as a weird sub? <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you have Randall in the previous scene going just literally like, because it's fucked up. And he He's like, he seems literally unshockable. Like he wants to see like a, a girl trying to swallow a giant fucking cum shot of donkey sperm. But yet he gets into that situation. It's like, it's all amped up by the fact that he's like, I don't know what to say. The guy who's I'm always almost, got a comment at the yeah. ready is just like, I'm fucking floored. I'm almost disappointed we don't get the retelling of it from Randall when he came in and Jason Lee is there. I'd almost like to hear him recant that scene. It is awesome. How you smoke out of the kitchen? You're like, dude, you'll never believe it. Why? She's still me. And if Jason Lee wasn't there, we would just redo the whole fucking scene. We were like, so I'm standing there, and he says, "Pussy troll." Well, I love that the kitchen, the conversation happened right there, and it's like Dante wouldn't even be listening to these two at this point. He's totally blocked these two clowns out. We got lucky with with Lee because Lee had a, a real tight schedule because he's on that show now. My name is Earl, and um, he was able to open up a Saturday to come down yeah. and kind of do this scene. And I, you know, I of course I always saw Lance Dowds as a clean shaven dude, but you know he's got that Earl mustache on, so you can't get rid of it. But um, when he came, uh, they they put a costume on and whatnot. I saw Lee outside. He's like, "What do you think?" Talking about his costume, I was like, "It looks good. You just got to shave the mustache now." And he got this real like pale face. Going like, dude, I, the, I am the mustache now. I can't, I can't shave the mustache. That's my, that's my bread and butter. I was like, dude, I'm kidding. You don't have to shave the mustache. <laughs> but uh, he was, uh, he was. I remember, like, he didn't get to rehearse with us in advance. We just rehearsed on that day with you guys outside over and over again. Yeah. Um, was there, was there any like? 
I mean, because he is kind of like he's he's Brody. He is kind of Randall. He's in that vein, right. in terms of like being the the funny dude and all the flicks. Was there any like as you're sitting there rehearsing with him? Was there any sort of like one-upmanship, or you're like, well, I'm gonna fucking I ain't gonna let this dude smoke me. I'm gonna fucking smoke him. Well, yeah, I mean that that's the scene. Yeah. So it's it's I don't know if I had it with Jason personally. Right. But that's the scene. It's like you know you're not getting me. I'm getting you. So whatever it was like the first rehearsal of it it was like all right we're there he's got it yeah. it's just it just works for the scene the uh this was a, a sequence too when we were looking for cuts in the movie for some reason uh michael cole who's a miramax guy was just like can't we just cut to these dudes outside and not see these dudes leave the, leave the movies like it's it's like you you got five seconds waiting for these two dudes to walk out and i'm like yeah dude it's five seconds like it's weird when they you get down to the wire and people are trying to look for cuts. It, 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 weird the kind of things they're like. Well, this can go. This Any can go. kind of moments of dead, like not dead space, but just sort of like people are walking or anything, just becomes like. Can they? Can we just? You know, you just want to jump all over the place and cut out every like couple seconds. Um, this was, I think, your favorite day on the shoot, wasn't it? This was my favorite day on the shoot. This was a remnant. Go-karts and a shut-down track and running little kids off the track. That was a great day. There's the Dante and Randall. Yeah, there they are at Skid Marks. At Skid Marks. New Jersey. The dudes are like, like you dudes are like, this is awesome. And these two dudes are like, I hate go-karts so much. <laughs> I wish I could get another job. That's always something like in the few screenings that we've seen with audience, nobody ever reacts to the Skid Marks name. I think, did you even shorten that? It's too that? fast. There, like, it's, look, it's, right, it's kind of quick. Yeah, it's one did of those... you shorten that shot of that? I, yeah. I remember being a lot longer because I always get a chuckle at it. And I remember when we saw it out in Cannes that it was a very fast look. And I was like, I. I guess people can't. I think when I went in and took a minute out of this montage, because if you can imagine, this went on for a minute more of watching these dudes just go around the track. Uh, that was one of the shorts that I actually wound up sh shortening. One of the shots I wound up shortening. It's totally a DVD shot where you could pause it and be like, oh, skid marks. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the It was a remnant, though, from when you guys were supposed to be working at the boardwalk. Right. Like, basically, whenever you, you you know you wanted to blow off steam, you would go off to the go-karts, which were like... Which of our booth. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's like down the down the runway a little bit, the thoroughfare. But in this for this for these purposes, I liked it so much. And I think I liked it a lot because Mosher really dug on it. Because when he read the script, he was like, I like the fact that there's this quiet moment. He's like, there's so much jibber-jabber throughout yeah. the flick that, like, you just break and we go and watch these dudes on the go-karts. It's kind of nice. And this is a scene right here, if I could just interrupt you for one second, where I'm going to say, get in line for the DVD. Yeah. It was one of my favorite scenes that... It's gotten considerably trimmed down, but we oh, really yeah. missed the gist of this conversation. It's the first time when I read the script that I was reading the script at home, I laughed out loud at this scene. It really made me laugh, and, and I was sad to see it go. This was, yeah, this was a the scene. dialogue that, that I had oh, to memorize. And you, you and cut your bastard. I know, and you spit out like whole almost page-long monologues. Yeah. And it's all about the discussion was all about like him impregnating, the likelihood of him impregnating his own mother by jerking off in the movie's bathroom. And when we were looking for cuts to bring it down, this was just like the one scene where I kept watching it going, it's it's the only scene in the movie to me that feels like it's out of the other movie because it's basically you two dudes having a clerks-like conversation. Yeah. So I was like, it doesn't really move things forward. It's just kind of there for the sake of being funny. I said, you know what? It'll be a great DVD extra scene. So out it went. But it, it was the performance, which you'll eventually see on DVD, is fucking phenomenal, and it is really, really funny. At one it's point, a funny scene. we thought about putting it out there as like a trailer on the net. 
but you know, it's, it'd be like a seven-minute trailer. And it would be too close to the original. Exactly. You would have gotten killed for doing it. Totally, totally. Yeah. That's the thing. Like dealing with the when we announced that we were doing the movie, it was when that Clerks Ten DVD came out, and one of the first things that came out about it was that it was called at that point the Passion of the Clerks. So the general consensus on the internet seemed to be like, yay, a sequel. Boo, what a horrible fucking title. Then, of course, there were people who, who were just boo the idea of doing Clerks 2, and people who were just like, oh, he's just scared and he's going back to the well and all this fucking shit. So you've had, like, you know, a year and change from the time it was announced to the time it's now coming out. Where people, like, people who are into it, of course, were supportive without seeing a frame, but people who were against it were just so fucking vocal. And there was this one website in particular, um, I think it was called Cinema Blend, where the dude was just going off on, like, what a horrible fucking idea. He, this dude is kind of, Smith has fucking lost it. He's so fucking cowardly. He's going to go back to the well and do a clerk sequel, blah, blah, blah. Over the time, you know, from from the time we were announced to the time the movie's coming out, slowly some of the websites have, like, turned around based on seeing the online trailer, based on hearing reaction out of can or reading some critical notices or whatnot. The weirdest turnaround, though, was on Cinema Blend. The same guy that wrote that story, when we put the posters out online, like the poster images of Jane Bob and Dante Randall and Elias and, and uh, Becky, right. That dude posted another story going like, you know, I'm on record as saying that Clerks 2 is, is uh, that I'm not fond of him going back to do it. But I got to say, like, these posters make me really want to see the movie. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding me, dude. A poster image is what turns you around? Like, that's what did it? Who knew? I'm happy. I'm, you know, I'm happy to have him turn around. And who knows? I'm sure he'll go see the movie and just bag on it anyway. <laughs> but, like, the fact that he would turn around for a poster I found very strange. And there was kind of like this, you know, there was a, a vocal minority out there that were just like, this is going to suck. This is stupid. I mean, go to any cool news. Yeah. Click on any clerk story. And the talkbacks are a majority of people going like, fuck him and fuck this movie, blah, blah, blah. So oh, by this point, hopefully people have seen the movie and they're like, oh, I get it. It's not just the fucking series of I'm still not even supposed to be here today. It's its own kind of unique flick. And Mosier has often said that, like, the Weinstein Company probably would have preferred it if it were if you guys weren't called Dante and Randall and the movie was just called Burger Boys or something like that. <laughs> because, like, then they could take the movie and market it as a movie that's not a clerk's sequel or, or that uh, that there was a clerk's prior to this. Like... You know, in the weeks running up to theatrical release, or the months rather, there were times when they were trying to change the title. Like, they didn't want to call it Clerks 2. They were like, can we go back to Passion of the Clerks? And like, dude, nobody likes that title. Yeah. And he's just like, well, can we just call it something else? Like, And I was like, what's the beef? And he's like, I, I, I like I Clerks 2. I like that. 2. What's the beef? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's like, there you go. That's the title. <laughs> I said, why not just Clerks 2? And he's just like, well, Clerks 2 is just going to make everyone think that it's a sequel. And I'm like, but it is a fucking sequel. And, and they just wanted to kind of keep that hidden for some reason until we did our test screening. And then when they got the reactions back of why people like were there in the first place and, and how much affection they had for the first one suddenly they let go of it like at one point they were going to subtitle the movie clerks 2 the second coming which was like why one was clerks 2 rude and unwrapped i'm like what's that mean <laughs> like they're like you know unwrap like you gotta unwrap a sandwich at a fast food joint i'm like what that's a stretch you know whenever i hear these stories i always think the more interesting movie is your interaction with <laughs> the the movie company. <laughs> like why did you film that it's i think all, it's hard for them i mean for the, I, I think you can get 
get the sense that like they weren't dialed in in the same way we were mm-hmm. about like about the fact that like look it's not like the movie came out 10 years ago people saw it and now it's like on the on the shelf collecting dust it's like right. you know we're in Kansas City i mean most of those there's like they're in their 20s like i mean they're 10 years younger than us it's mm-hmm. like and they've seen the first one and they're fans of the first one and i just think that like now they're now they're kind of changing their tune where they're getting they're getting more inclined to be like, oh, okay. So a lot of <laughs> so people do actually want to. It's it shouldn't be Burger Boys, it's fucking Bill or Pussy Troll. Uh, that would have been the well, title right yeah. there. <laughs> I'd love to see the poster on that one. <laughs> we got lucky with those two cats who were just in the scene that we passed by, um, with Wanda Sykes, of course, and uh, and the dude Earthquake. Uh, those cats came in and just killed, man. Like, you want to talk about people who came loaded for bear with one scene and took a scene that was on the page, was totally fine, and, like, shot, overshot and ele- elevated it beyond belief. And again, talk about uh, get in line for your DVD. Yes. Just watch uh, their scene of them uh, just going off, creating a scene where there really was no scene, mm-hmm. and uh, what did we roll? 10, 12 minutes on them? Did we rolled on one whole roll of film on them. Because all throughout their takes, like, when we're shooting their coverage, you know, everyone else is off camera and everyone's doing their lines off camera and then they're just on camera waiting to do their lines and whatnot and while they were not speaking their scripted lines they were quietly talking to one another like pantomiming a conversation Mm -hmm. so finally i was like let's just roll on you guys and you have whatever conversation you've been having all this time and then you'll hit your lines that are in the script but for the rest of it just go nuts and you take two funny people two comics and they'd never really met each other before and you let them go by the end of that take man i was just like fuck clerks too Let's make the movie about the middle-aged black couple who, like, go to movies. It starts them going to movies, getting outraged, and then going home to write the letter, and then just follow them throughout the rest of their day. Just when they improvised that scene, I just remember standing off camera and just biting my lip not to laugh and ruin the scene. But, they, you know, they, they went and improvised a 10-minute scene that when it was done rolling the laughter that came from everybody that oh. was standing off camera Any, was... anything that they say that makes you laugh they probably came up with like him going like you know you can't taste racism her going like ain't nobody from my church in here <laughs> him going they should get some Mexicans up in this place <laughs> like just it was them just kind of stream of consciousness just ad-libbing and it was it was really wonderful they kind of took that scene and just took it into the fucking stratosphere yeah um, this was your favorite fucker. The thing that made you laugh the most on set was this conversation between Becky and Dante. And tell him why. Even when I read it in the script, I <laughs> chuckled at it. Just because, like, here's a guy who's getting married, who's sitting there, and his big concern is he can't dance at the wedding. <laughs> and, like, he comes out with a line that's like, I just want to be able to bust a move at the wedding. Show some Show flair some on flair. the dance Show floor. Some flair on the dance floor. And, you know, I'm going to be this guy who can't bust a move on the dance floor. Like, I couldn't be there when you filmed it. Like, my character, it's cut out of the film, but I used to walk by and throw out a comment to them and keep going. Uh, in order to do the scene, I would have to walk by, throw out my comment, and jump into the men's room <laughs> and start cracking up because I could not listen to that line. It every just, every it just rehearsal on the day that we were shooting the scene, like before you actually shoot the scene, you do a run-through so the crew can see where you're setting up cameras, where you're going to do this, that, dry run. 
every time like Jeff would come by say his line and leave and he would disappear from the set but Brian would get to like I'd like to be able to show some flair on the dance floor and you would just hear from an echoey corner somewhere else <laughs> some flair on the dance floor <laughs> I could and it real I think it informed it her performance Rosario. it really helped it her performance left she kind of chuckled at me laughing off screen. Yes, like she, and I think she took her cue from that because then within the scene, she started too being like, "What?" Like she started basically wearing the reaction of Randall, being like, "I can't believe this is what this dude's talking about." <laughs> so she has this kind of like good-natured, like "You're kidding, right?" And then she sees he's serious, and she kind of swallows it, and she's like, "All right, I'm gonna teach him to dance, I guess." <laughs> like that almost became a problem. It was like when I was doing the scene because I would go into the men's room, but it was this very tiny men's room, and I'd be in there laughing, and I did it through all the rehearsals. I was, like, asking, you know, Andy, the camera guys, I'm like, can I go out the back door? Can we have the door open? They're like, no, it's too much noise out there. You can't actually leave. And I was like, we're never going to get through this scene because I can't stop laughing at flare on the dance floor. <laughs> this uh, this is a nod to the other one as well. They're up on a roof again, although there's no hockey this time. There's this. Um, there's dancing, dance school. And to to do this, this was always like one of those ideas that was always in my head, like I want to do a dance number. And I guess it, it kind of goes back to like something John Pearson said to me a long time ago where he was like, every filmmaker has a musical in him somewhere. And like 10 years ago, I was like, you're out of your mind, dude. I don't, I don't, I like watching musicals maybe, but I could never do one. And when he saw the script, when I wrote this, he was like, I told you, dude, you got a dance number in you at least, maybe not a full blown musical. So when we were, getting ready for the flick we went to a bunch of choreographers but people who do music videos and shit and finally I was just like why don't we find a person that choreographed that Bjork video it's oh so quiet and uh, Mike and uh, Mike Scott and Laura went and found this dude Michael Rooney who choreographed that as well as those eBay commercials where like the set breaks away and people start dancing breaking into song he also did the Chris Walken I'm sorry I'm not hearing a word you guys are saying right now I know I remember being there when we were on the roof she was the first person to call attention to it and I didn't even really notice because I'm like concentrating on how much of the dance to shoot before we go down below and she starts talking about like well I guess I should have thought about this before while we were in wardrobe like that eventually I'd have to dance I was like what are you talking about she's like look and she'd bust one move and like she stops but they keep going and I was like oh yeah is that, is that a problem for you she's like no but I think a lot of people might like that you know what I just got from that you might be gay because you hadn't <laughs> noticed I'm a married man dude I don't see boobs anymore unless uh, they're the boobs I see at home but I, you know, even a blind man had to see that move. Because once she called attention to it, I was like, my God, man, she's going to knock herself out. <laughs> um, what? So he did the he did the Fat Boy Slim video as well with Chris Walken. Yeah, he dancing. did that one too. They, they, him and his crew just knocked it out of the park. Man. Yeah, I mean, they did uh, they did some of the dancers were in the, in the build up and stuff, but uh, they were di they were doing a whole rehearsal next door. We actually, you know, we went and got more money, and we upped the amount of dancers. Because I think we were budgeted for 10 dancers, and I kept saying, like, we need a lot. Let's get 30, because we're outside, and there's a big space where they're going to be dancing. And thankfully, we found the money to get 30 dancers in there. 
Like this, uh, to your credit, uh, is another one of the scenes that you know when you're reading the script, you're unsure about. Like, you're like, you, what? You know, you read a dance scene, but you you obviously can vision it when you write it. It's for me. I'm still going. I, I don't know about this, but I was there the day they shot this, and just when they came out and do it, and when you see it in the film, it, I, I think it catches everybody so off guard mm-hmm. that it just it's. it's well, I think it sort of slowly builds to it. Like I think if we jumped into dance number right away. It would be too jarring, but I think it's like we sort of earn it by slowly, Slow like it slowly builds up to it, yeah. and then like people really have fun with it. I, I liked it in the script, but our friend Brian Johnson was just like, he was somebody who was like, ugh, he goes, I know I'm going to hate it, but when he saw the movie, he he actually yeah. loved it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really is kind of like I and, and don't get me wrong, like I'm sure there are people who see the movie who are going to be like, ah, that scene wasn't necessary, but you can't deny its charm. Like there's some real charm to it that 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 shot of your back like with the porch monkey for life like that was always in the script that you would would be wearing that from from a certain point on like wearing porch monkey for life never thought about it like to me it was just always kind of a throwaway joke Mm -hmm. first time we showed the movie to an audience and like we do that pan across and we see your back in a big bad way they went fucking nuts every subsequent screening as well like i had no idea what a big laugh that would be and i think we earned it because of the scene, because of the whole porch monkey scene prior, like it's it's a callback that there are a couple callbacks in this movie where we call back to a joke we made way earlier, like the Silence of the Lambs bit we set up, and then like twelve minutes later we pay we pay off with him being tucked, and I think the porch monkey thing is the same thing. Like he set it up in the in the porch monkey scene, which seems like its own scene and that's the joke and boom you're done and then to come back to it later on and see it scrawled across your back just seems to drive audiences nuts man it's it's kind of cool and, and really unexpected on my behalf yeah that's a piece of wardrobe i would often forget i was wearing and when i'd walk back to the days in i'm like man these people in long beach like to throw beer bottles this is weird <laughs> no she's gonna tell emma no wait a second then what's the problem are you that dense? Um, I remember when we were kind of, uh, me and Scott and Dave were shot list in the movie. This was a shot where I was like, hey, let's do it with a steady cam. Let's just go around and around them and stuff. Try to just kind of liven it up a little bit. Because there's always that thing of people going like, well, basically the whole movie is two guys talking to one another. And I'm like, yeah, but that's that's the movie. And that's what I that's what I wanted to make. And, and when you got two guys talking to one another, there's not too many ways to skin that cat, I feel, visually speaking. So with this scene, I was like, let's give them a little something. Let's give a little pizzazz and the idea was to shoot you know go around you guys do 360s and then also shoot at static and when we got into the 360s because dave brought in the steady cam guy the 360s looked so nice we were like fuck it let's just do them 360 the whole way through and it just cut together like fucking butter man that that dude was good like when he would go around in one direction to get pretty much brian's coverage and he went around the other direction to get your coverage and when i sat there in the editing room i pretty much had you each on camera when i needed you on camera so i was like this worked out yeah that seemed to be like we took a couple rehearsals to sort of get the camera in the right spots but once it was done it was we did two or three takes where it was always right on Mm. cue it worked nicely I just like that shot because you can see the days in in the background, and we can see our old dressing room. <laughs> totally. It's like, dorm that's where rooms. I lived. You can see the hookers coming in and out of my room in the background. <laughs> oh, did I just say that? Um, there was a, when we passed by, when you passed by uh, Elias in that shot, he's wearing a little sign on the back that I wish I'd, I'd hadn't. 
I was able to hold on a little longer, but editorially I couldn't because he turns in the shot that says Porch Monkey in Training. <laughs> like he slapped that label on his back. That was always, that's another one of those little lines that sort of becomes your favorite. I always like that fucking snitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're going to get it later. <laughs> that, was a, that was a total, like, when we were shooting that, I was like, that's a Johnson line. Like, I knew once Brian Johnson saw it, he would laugh, and that made him fucking laugh big time. When you go by, going, you fucking snitch. And he's like, I'm sorry, Randall, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, how he quickly does a 180 from, like, from, like, blaming you to being like, dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um... When you guys go to the to the movies, do you ever leave a movie theater and go to the bathroom or go get popcorn? I go to the bathroom usually when I leave, but I don't go get popcorn after. When you leave the theater? Like, do you ever leave? Like, some people leave a movie and go take a squirt or fucking get something to eat in the middle of the movie. Which, like, after oh, you think, like leave a movie while it's playing. Yeah, while it's playing. And then come back. But I it's just like... do that. Yeah, it boggles my mind when people, like, leave a theater. And, and, and I guess, you know, people just don't view movies the same way. Maybe the movie's boring, for all I know, whatever. I got a bladder the size of a pea. And I had to take a leak so bad before the screening, and there was sort of no time. And I was sitting in there during the screening. Uh, like, my back teeth were floating. And I was like, I got to get out of here, man. And and that was the first time I think I've ever left a movie like while it was playing. And did you you went out? But you've seen it a zillion times. Too. Yeah. You're kidding. But I, I always just feel weird disturbing people. If right. nothing else, like I hate to make the whole row get up when like you're trying to find the right spot. Like especially if it's a movie you don't know, right. you don't know what's coming up, what you're gonna miss. I, I don't do it. That's the thing. Like I've like I've I've been like when we did a test screening in, in Kansas City. Like there was some point in the movie where somebody got up to get something. I'm like, oh man, they're gonna miss like the setup for this joke. Like they missed the setup for they walked out like right before the um, the Silence of the Lambs bit. Right. So I'm like, that's so weird to me. But I guess if you got to go you gotta go if you were ever gonna have to go this would probably be the scene to do it it's a lovely little montage but nobody's saying anything so you're not really missing any setup so like if you gotta get your corn or take a squirt this is the time to do it but I you got like understand. a minute to I, I do it I don't buy that though I think like this scene be- it doesn't say anything but I think it says a lot like this yeah. little montage here I-, I would disagree if people were to get up and leave this is where although the characters aren't saying anything you see what's going on without words. Yeah, it's it's um but but me being a guy who's all about the dialogue, it's I said like, fuck it, get up. <laughs> don't leave if you if you don't gotta, but Getting this would be the moment. Is strange to me. Like you get popcorn before peeing, I I'm have hungry. the bladder the size of a pea, so it's like I, I'm constantly like peeing prior and then I'll have to hold it. But like nowadays like I remember Titanic, I tried as long as I could and then finally I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to piss my pants in the middle of the you theater. you got a bladder like an infant. Yeah. And the it's water been, yeah. rushing through doesn't help that. Well, it's also like, you know the ship's going to sink, so I'm like, <laughs> why am I going to, you know, you know what the inning is. I'm not going to piss myself just so I can fucking... That was one of my favorite shots in the flick, is that quiet, the shot of Randall in repose. Like, where you're not, like, it's the only time in the movie where you see Randall not engaged, not seeing anything. Like, what's that dude like when he's not, like, constantly at somebody? And, like, it's just a dude, like, you power it down, like C3PO. And you're just kind of sitting there quietly. So, I think it's a beautiful shot. It's a really nice, quiet moment. All this stuff, a lot of this montage came out of the while we're shooting. Because mm-hmm. originally in the script, as, a, as my kid, missing her teeth on the right moment. Um, 
when in the script it was set to like the Smiths, uh, please, 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 let me get what I want. And it was, and just, it was more about Brian, more was, about Dante. It was just him seeing the little girl and then him driving a bit. I think that was it. That was it. Looking for Becky and then seeing the kid. And then I, as we were, since we were editing the movie while we were shooting, it felt like the montage should be more about like the last moment in everybody's life before everything changes irrevocably. So it became this bigger thing about every character and seeing what they do right. before like life changes irrevocably with this scene with the donkey show <laughs> the life changing scene <laughs> right here the donkey show was like something we put at the very end of the movie like of all, we were at movies for like what 21 days or something like that at the movies and the last thing we scheduled was the donkey show because number one it's the most complex sequence in the movie and number two because we kept being told like that donkey's gonna shit and piss everywhere and so you don't want to be working in that movies after the donkey fucking redecorates so we wound up putting it at the end of the picture and, and we had to shoot at night and we had to shoot pretty much at night for the whole thing but it wound up being a pretty good call because we were able to kind of take it at our own pace and 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 do it right but this was the one sequence I was like least looking forward to shooting. Even though I thought it was really funny, it was just like, oh man, there's so many shots and so many fucking angles to cover and so much coverage to do. I'm just, I'm a lazy shooter. But we were warned that the donkey was literally just, it would be a stream of hot piss spraying all over the place <laughs> and fucking feces all over. So. And when you say hot, you mean erotic. Erotic, like we would each take a turn underneath the donkey getting splashed. Open but, mouth. Yeah. Mosier was finally like, all right, I could just let my little black let her go right here. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm going to follow the donkey's lead and just pee Nobody's gonna right notice. here. This isn't your territory. It's mine. Exactly. Dave Klein, who shot the movie, as he shot the first movie, as he shot our first three movies, um, and we finally got to get him back on this movie without any argument from the, from the financiers, if you will. Um, knocked it out of the fucking park in a big bad way and this is his favorite sequence in the movie and this came from we were trying to find a look for the film that was a little that would give it a little bit of grain have a lived in feel and I kept referring to 25th hour and so me Scott and, and Dave sat down and looked at 25th hour and it has this kind of grainy feel to it where they did this digital intermediate yeah. and um, it, it you know it doesn't we couldn't re, you know unless we shot in 16 millimeter again and blew it up we wouldn't get the grain that we had on clerks but I didn't want it to look all crisp and clean like most comedies, most studio comedies. So we kind of went for this digital intermediate thing. And while we were watching 25th Hour, I kept saying to Dave, like, there's a sequence where they go to a club. And um, it was kind of bathed in this, like, bluish-purplish light or whatever. And I was like, we should do something like that for the donkey show. And... Um, it, it, we kept tr thinking of other colors to do, and then we wound up doing pretty much the same color they do in that movie. And Klein fucking loved it. Even though he's like, Klein's like, look, it's so illogical, because he's like, you got Zach going, well, I got to hook up a boombox and set up a few lights. And he's like, it took him like half a day to set up this lighting setup in the movie. He's like, but I'll, I'll make the leap, because I think it'll look cool. And it wound up looking really quite yeah. cool. Then it also became like a cool moment because you get like the light. Oh, that cue. snap yeah, where if I can, he drops down a little bit and you see that light go on behind you. It's tremendous. Well, I like that uh, Randall and Dante aren't immediately alarmed when Zach comes out with the satin bathrobe on. Yeah. <laughs> and the leather pants. Like, like, this, oh, is this is normal. It's fine. Yeah. Chick's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, it always starts off with a guy. I hit the panic button right <laughs> <laughs> And Zach, Zach, who plays the, the donkey fucker, or the, the sexy stud, if you will, um, 
is uh, he's a dude who's worked in our office. We first met him on Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. He was an office PA, and he's worked on uh, Jersey Girl as well. When we came back to Los Angeles after the shoot was done, and him and Joey, um, who plays the dude in the in the porch monkey scene, who's waiting behind you know Wanda and Earthquake. Him and Joey did those train wreck videos that we did throughout production because they were working on this documentary for the D- the eventual DVD, and they decided like we can do these little video shorts that we can kind of put up these video blocks that we can put a ball throughout production. So they were on board for that early on, but then at one point after the script was done, me and Mosier were like, well, who do we cast as the donkey fucker? And I'm pretty sure it was Mosier who was like, what about Zach? And I was like, yeah, totally, because you don't want to cast somebody famous. That would be weird, right? Or somebody recognizable. <laughs> you want to cast somebody who people like. It doesn't like when you first see him when he pulls up. It doesn't like tip it that like, well, no way somebody this famous does a role this small. <laughs> so you get somebody like Zach who just kind of doesn't look like he's going to do much except bring a donkey in or whatever would be the muscle for Kinky <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. Then it turns out that Kinky Kelly's the donkey. So um, And he had done acting. He'd like, been in Coach. Yeah. He was on a lot of episodes of Coach and whatnot. Because he was a football player. And he blew out his knee in college, and then he ended up on coach. And he was always like he said every week he'd come in and go, "Where's Dauber?" <laughs> that was his key line. <laughs> um, well, when he the opportunity to put that out in breakdown service, though. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey fucker. Totally, we couldn't cast that up in the pages. Um, this is what this leads to one of my favorite shots in the whole movie. Shot that makes me laugh fucking so hard. Here it comes, man. Oh, I'm so uh. proud of that moment. It's just, he, he just, it was so perfect because rather than just spitting right into his palm, the spit travels through his fingers off camera and gets picked up by that light. I'm like, I hope, hopefully if I, if I die and they're like, you know, a look back at this dude's work, that shot would be, they don't, they don't need to show anything else but that shot. The Lifetime Achievement Award, Kevin Smith. <laughs> The nod, <laughs> um, but Zach, like I asked him, I was like, "Dude, what do you think about playing the donkey fucker?" And he was just like, "Oh, really? You're kidding?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, do that pull." And and he, before he could say yes, he felt the need to go talk to his sister because I guess his sister <laughs> is a teacher or something like that, works with kids or something. He, she has a job in the in the you know the private sector, and he was just like, "I can't be the donkey fucker and and that have that haunt her for the rest of her life." So he went to her, and he was just like, "There's this." Role in the movie. I want you to read it, and if you said not to do it, I won't do it because I won't. I don't want to embarrass you. And she read it. She's like, "It's hysterical. Do it." And she, at some point, was like, "No, no, it's fine. Be the donkey." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the fact that uh, I, this scene has so much wrong about it, it kills me. Him jerking off, mentioning Jesus. Them falling in love, or her finally admitting she's in love while the donkey fucking is going on. Like, I remember, I think it was Quentin who was just like, he, we showed Quentin, uh, Tarantino, and Robert Rodriguez the movie, like, early on, we got a cut. And Quentin's like, one of the finest moments of the movie is that she says she loves him after after the, all the donkey shit's going on, like, while they're standing there. <laughs> and um, Ooh Cake is a mo- uh, this Mosier line. Mosier was just like, you should have him say Ooh Cake. That's a great line. It was a totally <laughs> great, great line. Delivery, great line. You, that was well, see, it's like one of those things where you're shooting and then you set up that shot and you see him like simulating that thing and, you're like, and then you're just trying to be like especially in a scene like this where you're also trying to be like you just want tons of things to cut because there's so many things right. going on and so you're just trying to like grab stuff out of the air and everyone loves cake she got like princess leia kind of buns going in that hair of hers 
Didn't we didn't put them always didn't put them right on the side of her head because I thought that'd be too obvious. So we moved them back a little bit. This is always one of my favorite lines here. Yes. Sometime? <laughs> like sometime? Like sometime. I love that. Like, oh, it's funny. I think it's kind of, it's it's a funny moment because it's not it's kind of muse like, but it's not it's not necessarily Jay like. Right. Like it's not like I, I don't think you would expect him to do that. To ask her out? Yeah. <laughs> Based on the fact that she just caked her boyfriend and shit? <laughs> or just, like, it just seems like, he, in a weird way, like, he talks about pussy so much, mm. but he doesn't necessarily act on it all the time. Right. And then when he does act on it, it's in more obvious circumstances. Or just that it's like he's ca- kind of asking her out, like, in a nice way. Right. It's like, not even, more like, casual, let's like, yeah. like, you want to go out He's like, we should fuck. <laughs> As opposed to, yeah, it's like, like, he wants to take her out on a date. <laughs> <laughs> feels a little bad for her on one hand. On the other hand, he's like, if she'll fuck him, she might fuck me. <laughs> Car wash in Florida sounds pretty good to me, apparently. The, uh... The, I, there's this right before this, like we're tugging on your arm and shit. And the backstory was like, like when Muse sees the the cop and the fire truck pull up, he's like, "We gotta get out of here." And immediately it sparks in Silent Bob's mind, like we have to get Randall out of here, yeah. even though they're not real tight with Randall. But like, there's an affection, a sudden built-in affection, because he invited him to the bachelor party. So he's like, "We gotta protect Randall. Let's get Randall out of here." It was always a weird in the first screenings where it was in there. It was always a long moment of you tugging on. Him. Him too, where he's just kind of staring at him, like, "What are you doing? Why are you pulling up?" <laughs> this is uh, when we shot the jail sequence, and the jail sequence is uh, hands down my favorite scene in the movie. I love all the jokes and stuff throughout the whole movie, but uh, this jail sequence really sums up the movie nicely for me because there's jokes in it, but there's a really great performance, and, and the material isn't just kind of like there to be funny; it's also there to kind of be moving. And we shot it. As the last thing we did in in Los Angeles, we found this uh, police museum in um, Eagle Rock or something. I think it's called. Yeah. And we didn't. We rehearsed this like in pre and in, in, before we started shooting in pre rehearsals. Um, we did this scene maybe once, but basically or twice. And you guys were just kind of reading from the script. So when we got here to actually do the scene, that was the first time that you guys actually got to physically act it out and be off page. And this she- this scene took shape like two days before we shot it like originally there was um silent bob is the one who was just like uh you guys i always thought you guys should just buy the quick stop and Mosier kind of uh, red flagged it while we were while we were getting close to doing the jail scene while we we're still in production he's just like it feels like silent bob should say more like maybe do a chasing amy type speech and i was like all right and so i took a run at it and wrote a different version to that scene where he then went and did a speech like where Silent Bob did the speech about friendship or something like that. And I hit you both with it. And uh, both of you were just like, same reaction. Like, Mosier's, and I think both of you said the exact same thing, which was like, it's no better, it's no worse, it's pretty much the same thing. And it's not like there was anything wrong with the scene, but it felt like it can go one notch up. And then I rewrote it, and it became like, it became more about Randall saying we should reopen the quick stop. But when I wrote it, it was Randall kind of, blurting something out at Dante to shut him up and then being caught by the notion of him saying we should just buy a quick stop and reopen it ourselves and then being like and I believe it was in the script he said after Dante reacted he said oh my god yes that's what we should do and then when we were there on the set rehearsing that day for the first rehearsal with me you and Brian solo in that room with no crew there 
I think you were the one that presented it where you were like, I don't think Randall should be surprised. I think this is something that's always been swimming in the back of his head. So when he says, I'd buy the quick stop and reopen it myself, it's like him finally coming out and being like, yeah, fine, I have a dream too. And so that's where the scene really fucking rocketed and took off. And it was this weird amalgam of like a bunch of ideas, a bunch of people going like, take it somewhere, take it somewhere. And we finally took it someplace. And it turned into this really kind of beautiful scene that... The other version would have played fine, but this version just takes it over the moon for me. Yeah. It was like one of those things where we did rehearse, you know, several times before we actually shot, but this was one of the scenes that I'm no actor and I knew I didn't have a lot of performance in me, so I didn't want to keep rehearsing it because right. it would get stale. So it was like every time we would get to the scene, I would be sort of, Kev, let's not rehearse this. <laughs> right. And I think... You know, that's why it took to two days before we actually shot the scene, where if we rehearsed it, you might have had that realization earlier right. and had some time to do it. But because we didn't rehearse it, you were just sort of all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, this isn't quite right. Right. And you never really had a chance to hear it. And I and fuck you, sir. You're not. You can't. After the scene, you can't say I'm not an actor like this. this the, your performance <laughs> in the scene is is really quite amazing. And here's why. Like you'd never take this. The, somebody could easily take the scene into mawkish territory, where it's just like we have to underscore it with some strings and shit like that. You take it to a very real place of a guy who has lived his life, you know, being like the wise ass, the cynic, who just kind of removes the armor for a moment and rather than breaking down into tears and shit like that you get emotional but you don't fucking crack it's so fucking believable to me and that's that is a true performance and i remember early on like when you first read the script you were like i don't know about that jail scene dude i'm not used to doing scenes like that and you knocked it fucking out of the park and the same with brian like brian really stepped up as well yeah but i think even brian would admit that you've got the heavy lifting in the scene like brian's job is to pretty much from from the moment where you start kind of breaking down he has to kind of react and I, it's just, it really came off well. It couldn't have been better. Right. Like, I can't imagine a better version of this existing. And we shot it over, like, two nights. And the first night was pretty much all in your... We did the wide, the master, and then pretty much all in your direction. And then the next day, um, we started with you again. We just did, like, one more take all around. Right. Because by the time we shot it at night... night yeah, it was, like, night. four in the morning when we wrapped and stuff. And so the next day... When we came in, you were like, um, let's just do one more take. And I was like, totally. And a lot of it wound up coming from that take because you got yourself some fucking sleep and whatnot. Right. And you were hitting every fucking beat. And and Brian, we turned around on Brian. And Brian had like that the day before. He, we weren't on him, so it didn't matter. But he wasn't quite there yet. Mm. But when he came in the next day, he just fucking knocked it out of the park. How were you feeling going into that being that we didn't rehearse that scene? Did you, you know, did you know it? was going to happen. There. I mean, I figured, like, we left ourselves two days to do the scene. It's like a 10-page scene, maybe 11-page scene. And I felt like, well, we'll get there. It just might be a lot of work. And I thought there'd be a lot more set clearing. Like, we got to get everyone out of here so I could just focus on the actors and just the cameraman, the sound guy being there. But thankfully, we never had to do that. We did this one kind of pre-rehearsal where it was just me, you, and Brian in the cell going through it and after that first rehearsal i was just like that's this is fucking awesome we could have shot that and we brought the crew in like so they could all see it and whatnot blocking rehearsal it's called 
So they all watch it, and something that something happened that never fucking happened, never happened throughout the course of this movie. I can't remember it ever happening on anything else that we ever did either. You guys finish the scene, and all the crew standing there just starts applauding. And I was just like, we got something here. This is really fucking cool. So it wound up, I think it was like originally like an 11 or 12-minute scene, and we kept having to kind of shave out and shave out and find stuff to take. And there are some lines that I'll always miss, but... It's a t- it's pretty tight scene and it doesn't like go into over long territory. It doesn't become overly mawkish. Mm-hmm. Mawkish. I'm so glad we never scored this scene because there's a temptation to like underscore when Randall starts getting emotional. But it's like just let it play raw and whatnot. I think it was uh, like I remember when I was cutting the scene together. I was telling you like maybe I should take Jay and Bob out and just let it be you guys. And you were like, no, dude, you're gonna need those dudes in there. I, and I you were so right. I think like to your credit, the way the scene is cut, and I saw it again when we. In uh, the film festival, watching it with that audience, you inserted just enough mm-hmm. to like, like the, the part where they're supposed to be covering their ears, and they go, "Yeah, right." right. It, it's it's it breaks up that moment, and it's so perfect. Like that little stuff to take you out of that, and to just put a little levity in there. Like it, it was really to your credit that was really good, both writing and editing the final to really not push the scene too hard. And that's what's kind of, you know, anybody that says that going into any movie, they they knew it would work out exactly as it did is fucking lying, I feel. It's like, movies are, you know, you have you can be as prepared as you want, but like the happy accidents are the things that really kind of push it over the top. And we didn't, you know, it, it wasn't like a, a blueprint. You had a general idea. The script, of course, is the blueprint, or in our case, the Bible, but it's just like little things like that as you're editing and you take out a little bit so that something else shines a little more and then you add something else to kind of undercut any potential criticism in terms of like, oh, they're getting too touchy-feely, like Jane Bob come in and kind of make a joke. Mm-hmm. It just worked out so nicely. And that's it's, – it's such a collaborative medium. Like, you know, no one man or woman makes a movie. It's everybody. And, like, this scene is so indicative of that. Like, if we had just shot what was on the page, it wouldn't be as cool a scene as it is, and hence the ending of the movie wouldn't be as cool as it is. I think it's also like, you know, we got lucky that we did put this at the end Mm -hmm. because I think the reason it changed and I think all those things happened was because, you know, once you start shooting and you start watching the footage, it's like you do walk away from the script and you start to be in the movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and you start to see the movie and feel the movie. And all of a sudden it's like when we got to the end with this scene, like, I remember, you know, we were also talking about it, and we were like, you know, we were just like, every time the movie goes somewhere, we feel like it goes the other direction. And that's why we were like, maybe Silent Bob should say, I don't know what to do. Like, right. As opposed to doing what the people think's going to happen. That's the true line for the movie. It's like every, I, I think, and, and it seems like, based on audience reaction thus far, that our take on it was accurate. Every time people think they have a beat on the movie, we go harsh left or harsh right. Mm. But not so far off book where people are like, well, that's fucking retarded. But it's just like we we don't give them what they're expecting. And, you know, that plays into what the whole movie's been, even from concept. Like, most people expected one thing, they see the movie, and it's yeah. not what they expected. But, and yeah, I, it worked out nicely. And I remember the whole idea of, of your character being the one that that sort of is like, as opposed to somebody suggesting the idea. It's like, uh, who knows in the beginning had we right. sat there. Because we had talked about the jail scene during prep, too, and we kept 
you know, like there's specific. There was about always it. red flags in it. There was always like, yeah, yeah even in rehearsals, yeah. Jeff was like, "There's something about the jail scene. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe look at that." Yeah. And it got tabled until as the movie. Until I think the end. you know the experience of watching the movie and seeing scenes get cut together, and you're suddenly like, you know, like the montage suddenly got created out of like, right. well, you know what, you know, maybe we should make this ab- about every single character as opposed to just Dante mm-hmm. and all of those things sort of come out of the shooting right well it's like i always maintain and like when when we were talking about that jail scene and randall's the guy who had that idea i always maintain that if dante wasn't getting married and going to florida Mm -hmm. these guys would have worked in movies here for as long as they worked in quick stop and would have never done anything but it was the fact that you were pulling dante away from randall that had his mind going like oh if he would have stayed here we would have done this 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 but they never would have. But just because he was being pulled away, he had all these grandiose ideas that, you know, Dante was ruining. But it would have never happened. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah, it's what I dig about that jail scene and the whole end of the movie is like that moment where you scream like, you know, I'd buy a quick stop and reopen it myself is the final Randall crossing over the threshold into full adulthood to get a little artsy fartsy about it. Like basically in order to get in order to kind of make that big jump to be a grown up, the dude had to throw away the last vestige of his armor. Like, you know, he's the dude that always has something to say at the right moment, will argue anything into the dirt. But like at that point backed into a corner like he by being himself he wound up being more than himself like he throws it he has nothing left to argue with so he throws out this thing that like by revealing makes him kind of vulnerable in a way that he'd never been before and that unlocks the fucking code that like takes him you know to his future and so like when i'm cutting the movie like when you guys are rebuilding the quick step and like you'll notice we never like with the exception of this shot where they're hanging lights it's not like you ever really see the inside of the quick stop all burned out it's like them taking stuff out and kind of working on the roof and shit but <laughs> seeing the roof with that piece of <laughs> 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 tiny ass piece of wood they fixed the roof but i don't know i always remember being in the editing room and just being like wow it's so it's so quietly heroic in such a small way like you know granted it's not fucking wolverine taking on the phoenix or something like that in terms of it being a summer movie but there's something really quietly heroic about two dudes who are like let's do something that the whole world would never expect us to do and that's what i think kind of works about the emotional ending to the movie for me that shot when we had our first screening and almost every subsequent screening except in the test screening in kansas city when they cut to the wide and you see i assure i assure you were reopen Mm -hmm. that like got applause Mm -hmm. like people gave it a big round of applause and i was like oh shit that's cool that made me feel awesome didn't happen in the kansas city screening which i was like well i guess they're not a hardcore fan audience but that was like one of the only places in the movie they didn't fucking clap kind of cool this scene was different too the Jane Silent Bob scene the butt in the movie and then because we were editing the movie while we were shooting it it felt like let's end it with them like doing a call back to the goodbye horses thing instead I forget. It was like, oh, the Bible thing. Because the there was a running gag with them in the Bible, constantly quoting to the Bible and whatnot, or going to the Bible looking for a quote. And then uh, we just kind of got rid of it as we were shooting. So we were left with kind of a non-ending for Jay and Bob outside of Quick Stop. And then I was like, let's just do the goodbye horses callback. And it seemed to work out nicely. Like him going, oh, mm-hmm. is, is pretty funny. Yeah. 
and then this shot was I, this. I, we didn't even do it that often. We didn't do that many takes of it, but man, it was just such a cool, cool shot. Yeah, that was uh, again when we came into the quick. It was always weird being back in the quick stop, and especially being back with you know, quote unquote, a, a film crew like a real yeah. crew. It it's always feels bizarre. But I know we didn't really rehearse this scene that much, and Mm-mm. you were in the store, and I, I hadn't even stepped into the store, you know, till about five minutes before we shot the scene. But when we went in and we shot it, uh, I didn't know that you actually had the music queued up. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy, like, when we were shooting the scene and to have the dolly going down and all of a sudden the music started, I was like, oh, my God, like, it really hit, like, wow, this this really does feel like the end of it. That was nice. All props to Whit, Whit Norris, who's, like, you know, the guy who records our sound on this movie and a few others we've done. Ace sound recorders, and that's the kind of dude you want. Like, because in a dialogue movie, you want that sound to be pitch perfect. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to queue up the song to play. And, when when they're done speaking, I was like, I don't know if that's necessary, but it really, really fucking helped. Not just the timing of the move, mm. but it really set the tone and whatnot right. for that shot. It was, it was a cool way to end it. And that was, that was oddly enough, the last shot, shot of the movie. The, the yeah, just- I think it actually took us a couple of shots to get that because when the song came on, I was so caught off guard and didn't know it was coming on that I forgot what we were doing and the timing of everything. So it was really, uh, it, it caught me by surprise and was just like a pretty touching moment. The um, the we we were able to kind of bookend it too with my mom at the end with the milk being yeah. the milkmaid just because she happened awesome. to be in Jersey at the same time we were there, and when we did the first Clerks, we had somebody else was supposed to play that role and they never showed up at three in the morning to do it and I called my mom, <laughs> <laughs> and putting her at the tail end like it's it's a really kind of cool shot and then just to kind of bank a little bit right and kind of reveal her and, and bring the message home or bring the thought home that like. No matter how many how things change, That's things beautiful. stay the same. It was just a really nice button of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I well, I thank everybody for for listening to the commentary track, and hopefully you didn't listen to it. Hopefully this ain't the first time you're seeing the movie. Like you know, because if it is, please stay in the theater and watch it again without without us blabbing in your ear. Um, if you've gone back to see it, I appreciate your your continued support and whatnot. Everybody who worked on the movie, Dave Klein, Laura Greenlee, uh, Ratface, uh, Rat yeah. who's our fantastic Wait. production designer, with yeah. the sound recorders, Roseanne who did yeah. costumes. Um, to Carol Banker, I mean, it goes on and on. It goes on. All the names that are rolling by. I know. Start mentioning all the names. Got to give them props. They all did such a great job. Our movie, and we thank everybody. But uh, thank you guys especially for, I, I don't think we would have done it if we didn't knew that there was an audience out there who would want to see it. So thanks for showing up for it. Um, if I were you, I would go sneak into um, Lady in the Water right now, or uh, what else is playing? My super ex-girlfriend, yeah. or even better, pay to see those movies. No, pay to see Clerks and then go see those movies. Oh, you go to see those movies. Yeah, ask for a Clerks two ticket. And this if commentary also works for Lady in the Water. Funny enough. <laughs> Oddly enough, you can go see Lady in the Water. You can go see Miami Vice and listen to this commentary track Isn't as that well. The same movie, Clerks two, Lady in the Water. <laughs> <laughs> Donkey. In the I water. believe it's Donkey in the Water. Donkey in the Water. Or dude, it's Clerks 2, do, Dude in the Donkey. Dude in the Donkey. Couldn't we have really had Judy Dench play Brian this time? It was a possible, distinct possibility. <laughs> if, if he was like, uh, I look, I don't believe in this script, I think we would have went to Dame Judy Dench, because all we do is burn a cork and put a beard on her. Yeah. You know, one of those Van Dykes. That'll work. Tuck her pants into her boots. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a, she's a brilliant actress. You have to imagine she would pull it off. 
Do you think you'd have the same chemistry with Dame Judy Jensen, or do you think you'd be nervous like this is a dame? Or would you be attracted to her in some weird way? You know, I'd probably be a tidal wave of emotions, <laughs> but, you know, being the constant professional, I would have just gotten in there and handled it. Who am I kidding? You would have had Sarah Silverman playing me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, if we're that far removed, let's bring in Sarah Silverman for Randall. <laughs> Clerks, too. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening, and go see it again. This time, as you watched it once without the commentary track, now you watch it with the commentary track. Now go see it again. Pay to see it again. Without the commentary track, but knowing all the stupid shit that we've said. And it's a whole new insight into the movie. I think the only insight we provided was the little sign on the back of Elias' shirt yeah. that says, <laughs> A Porch Monkey in Training. A I don't pivotal think moment, though. It is kind of it's a very pivotal moment. So thanks for listening to our not-so-scene-specific uh, screen commentary in the theaters. And right don't forget to throw your shit out. ushered out with flashlights. The movie's <laughs> over, asshole. Go. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.